All right. Welcome to the Tom and Dave show. This is episode eight slash like 13. Uh, we're going to keep on doing this. We don't know what episode it is bit at the beginning of every episode. That's just par for the course at this point. That's Dave. I'm Tom. And the rotating third on today's episode is Brendan Nunez from the King's Pulse. Brendan, how are you? I am doing good, guys. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Ready to talk some Kings basketball. We're excited to do it as well. Um, we're continuing this sort of uh, under the radar tour that we're doing of some of those teams that aren't going to be playing in national TV primetime games every week. And that's not a slight to these teams. It's just this is the way that the TV schedule works out. Uh, we had Cavs, we had Thunder, we got a little bit coastal with it this week. Um, so to kick it off, uh, Dave, you want to talk about Buddy Heald a little bit? Yeah, so I think um, the natural starting point here is with one of the most recent Kings, you know, free agency decisions, um, roster decisions. Um, obviously, in the offseason here, there was kind of a choice made um, to go with Buddy Heald over Bogdan Bogdanovich. Um, how do you think that works with the team and uh, the roster and in its present and in its future? With a new general manager just coming in uh, and Monty McNair replacing Vlade Divac, I, I think that he kind of was stuck um, dealing with a lot of Divac's prior decisions that maybe weren't uh, weren't the the best for the long-term future of the team. And it, it seems like he's really, Monty McNair is really valuing future flexibility. Um, and I, I think the obvious way to go is, you know, get younger. I mean, the Kings are looked at as a young team, but they're, they're really not. Um, it's really De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley and now Tyrese Halliburton. Um, and Bagley obviously has had a very shaky start to the rest of his career. But when you're talking uh, Buddy Heald's 28, Harrison Barnes is 28. Uh, Corey Joseph, I guess, is somewhat of a key contributor still is 29. Bogey's in that 27 to 28 range. I don't know the exact one off the top of my head. Um, so it seems like the idea was to get younger. And I think that Buddy and Bogey on the roster both were probably looked at as trade chips if either one were to stay. Um, I, I wish it didn't have to be a choice and you could have kept both of them and flipped them for assets down the line, like some sort of uh, draft capital. And I think that could have been the case. I think it was a mistake to not match the bogey deal, even though there were some injury concerns that you've kind of seen um, with him going down in Atlanta pretty quickly here. But both of them, specifically Buddy, was very vocal about not feeling like he was a bench player. Um, and bogey more quietly made it clear that he preferred to start as well. Um, so, yeah, I wish it didn't have to be a choice, and I do think it was a mistake to not match the Bogdanovich deal and then flip it at some point this season. Um, and, yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I, I'd probably bet on Heald being moved at some point this season or next year as well, although I'm not uh, the most sure on what his value is at this contract that I felt good about at the time, and now I'm kind of looking at it might be a negative value, even though he's an elite shooter. Um, it's kind of the only thing he really does well. Would you say that that Buddy Heald contract was kind of one of those, like, we'll give him the offer and then maybe he, like, plays up to it deals? Or, like, when that was offered, was that sort of, in the opinion of Kings fans, like, fair market value for what Buddy Heald gives you as a player? I think it was viewed as fair value at the time. Um, he, he had just come off a absolutely ridiculous year, and, you know, he was the leading scorer on the team for a while. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, Heald puts up ridiculous numbers. He he can score off the dribble and off the catch with the three, but if it's more than two or three dribbles, you're asking him to play make for anyone else. That's been a little bit of an issue. Um, and for him to sign that deal and then the year after Walton come in and really misutilize him um, as a ball handler um, 
which, you know, you look at like the pick and roll numbers for healed and it looks great, but that's just, if he's shooting out of the pick and roll, if he's asked to play make for others, um, it doesn't go well. He doesn't have a good enough handle or court vision to be able to do that. Um, so yeah, I think that it, it was for the value that he was projected to bring during the prime of his career, which is right now, um, you know, after spending four years in college, he reached that pretty quickly. It feels like, um, and to instantly get misutilized from where he was really um, successful in that high pace system with Jaeger um, that I gave, I think gave him a lot of good open three point catch and shoot opportunities um, to go to Walton off on the ball a little more, which hasn't been the case as much this year. Um, definitely brought that value down a little bit. And it also exposed that he really can kind of only be a shooter. That's interesting. I mean, especially that note about, you know, switching from Jaeger to Walton. What are has there been anyone like in the switch from Jaeger to Walton that has really like excelled in the new system or anyone that had, that that's been particularly hard on other than buddy, like as a Kings fan, I'm basically asking you just like, if we're looking at Luke Walton and like what he's brought to the team, where are we with him? Yeah. Um, Walton is probably on his way out. I, I think that if he would have been, um, you know, only one year left on this deal rather than I believe it was a four year deal he signed last season um, to match what was Vlade's um, extension as well. And then Vlade ended up stepping down, I guess, is how it was. Um, then, yeah, I, it, I think that Walton's probably on his way out. But the, and the only reason he's not gone yet is financial reasons, uh, not wanting to have to just eat that. And you're still paying Jaeger for this season after after cutting him there as well. Um, so I, I think he's on his way out. And yeah, I mean, part of it is I, I can't point to any player that really did excel more during their time, uh, during the time that Walton's been there. I think that, you know, he was brought in as a player coach and somebody to get along with the front office and be on the same wavelength as them. Um, but when you have guys that very clearly are are younger and, you know, you're talking about like the the engine of your team being a what 22 year old, 23 year old player in De'Aaron Fox, they need more guidance. Um, and Luke doesn't see the, seem to be the biggest X's and O's guys. It's very a uh, free flowing offense where players need to realize where their opportunities are going to be rather than being told, okay, this is where you're going to get your chance. Um, and you see more of the vet guys like Harrison Barnes really do a good job of recognizing that and taking advantage, but um, don't think he's ideal for a young team. And I, I personally, um, he, in my mind, he's gone at some point this season or at the end of this season. And um, I, I wouldn't bet on him getting another head coaching opportunity anytime soon. That's interesting. Yeah, I can't really, I don't know. I feel like the uh, the Luke Walton market is not going to be the hottest one out there this offseason. Um, you do, you have mentioned a few times, though, this being a young team, a lot of, or not necessarily being a young team, but you've got young pieces, I guess, would be the better way to look at this. I mean, Darren Fox, you've mentioned he's 23. Tyrese Halliburton's 20. Marvin Bagley's 21. Outside of those three, is there any, like, young piece that you would like to see kind of remain part of this team's core going forward? Or is that sort of the three that you want to roll with for the foreseeable future and fill the roster in around them? Yeah, that that's pretty much it. Um, I, I think there's a clear need at the wing. And, you know, Bagley, I mean, the jury is kind of still out. I, I think that there's no reason to um, – fold on Bagley or anything or move him when his value is clearly very low. I feel like it can only go up from here, really. Um, I, I think Rashawn Holmes, while he's not necessarily young um, in, in like the typical fashion, he's 27, but really excelled um, when given a bigger role when he came over to Sacramento. I think that uh, this offseason, he's a guy that uh, 
I, I would like to see kept around and be part of this sort of young core moving forward. Um, but yeah, outside of that, um, I, I do like the second rounders they grabbed in like Robert Woodard and Jemias Ramsey, but that's the 40th, 43rd pick you're talking about. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how much you really uh, count those guys into your future, but I'd like to see them get a little bit of run and maybe see what you're working with. But pretty much you're, you're building around De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton right now. I like that you mentioned Rashawn Holmes because I feel like, I don't know, he was somebody that I feel like bounced around in a few not great positions for like a young center to be in. Like what would be behind MB in Philly. Then he went to Phoenix when they were yeah. still like the Phoenix that we kind of think of. Um, obviously they've changed that route now with having Chris Paul in the building, but you know, the, the Phoenix Suns of the mid 2010s uh, dysfunction and whatnot. Um, actually, let's talk about Tyrese Halliburton real quick. I've heard a lot about him. I haven't watched a ton of Tyrese. What do you see that makes you go, okay, yeah, this is a guy that we would like to keep around in this organization for a little bit. Yeah, saying that someone has a really good feel and IQ is kind of a, a, a very loose term, but I, I think it's one of the best ways you can describe Halliburton. Um, yeah. I mean, he's played 10 games in his NBA career, and he already is maybe the second best, best player on Sacramento's roster, which speaks to both Halliburton being very impressive and uh, the roster being a little bit underwhelming. Um, but he, he just has an amazing IQ where he, um, he, he's a great playmaker. He's already manipulating defense with his eyes and these look-off passes. Um, I grew up a huge fan of Rajon Rondo, and he reminds me a lot of Rondo, um, except he can actually shoot the heck out of the ball. He's shooting 52% from three right now on 4.8 attempts. Um, I think I saw a post-broadcast yesterday. Uh, he's the second player behind Seth Curry with at least 43 point attempts in three point percentage right now, um, which Seth, not Steph, but still um, Seth's obviously a ridiculous shooter. Um, and, and that'll come back down to earth, but Halliburton's been extremely efficient. Um, hasn't had games of many turnovers outside of yesterday's. Um, and then on the defensive end of the floor, he's good for, you know, at least one steal a night where, you didn't even realize he was in the passing lane, um, but he saw it coming ahead of time and is, is very active on that end of the floor. Um, so he, he just is a extremely smart player and it shines on both ends of the floor. He doesn't do too much. And for him to already have this understanding um, that, that you see from veterans 10 game in 10 games into his career is extremely impressive, but he has, he has his weaknesses, you know, like he's not going to be a um, good on ball defender with the slim frame that he has. You saw him, get worked a little bit by uh, Damon CJ last night, understandably. Um, I, I mean, the best defenders in the league get worked by Damon CJ. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, so, so there's definitely shortcomings and I don't know um, it, a lot of his questionable, like high ceiling and why I didn't think he was going to be an all-star um, when I was kind of going through my draft research um, was I, I didn't see much scoring off the dribble for him, but he's already shown a, a lot of that in his 10 games. So um, yeah, I, I mean, at this point, I probably would bet on him being an all-star, but I might be uh, just getting a little excited from 10 games into his career. But he really plays like a veteran and has the IQ of a guy that's been in the league for years rather than 10 games. Yeah, I think what's um, also really interesting uh, from what I've seen with Halliburton is uh, where he fits, like, positionally. Um, I'm, I'm looking at, like, his basketball reference page right now, and they've you know, estimated that he's played 12% at point guard, 68% at shooting guard, 19% at the three. Um, 
And I see sometimes in the lineups he's, you know, playing the three next to Fox and Heald. Where do you think positionally he kind of works out? Do you think he, you know, if Heald gets shipped, shipped off, he moves up to the two or something? Or what do you think about, yeah. Yeah, I, I think he's probably a two. Um, I think long-term, you know, Fox is your one and Halliburton's your two. Um, I, I think that while Halliburton is a good playmaker, he's not the primary guy you want initiating the offense because I don't think that he really creates many opportunities or advantages that lead to um, other players getting openings like Fox obviously can um, can do with with his ridiculous speed that he has. So I think they're a great complement as a one-two. And I think a lot of times you see him at the three right now is just because you're trying to put your best players out there. Um, and Heald's part of that. You see a lot of lineups with Corey Joseph, Fox, and Halliburton as well. Um, which, yeah, I, I don't think Halliburton's a three. I, I think that he's really going to struggle if you put him there uh, to defend some of the the stronger threes in the league. Um, he doesn't quite have the size for that either. So to me, he's he's pretty obviously a two. Um, and, and I think that right now you just see a little different because you're trying to roll your best guys out there. Um, and those just happen to be a good amount of guards. I'm glad that you touched on also mentioning just the high IQ point with him. Cause I feel like that is a term that like people who do what we are doing right now, throw it around really casually. And it, it sounds like something that's just like, well, we don't really know what he's good at, but then you'll see a player where it's just like, no, he's never doing the wrong thing. Like he, you'll have one player where it's like, no, this clicks. He actually like gets this and he's processing it really quickly for somebody that's that young. Yeah, definitely. And just playing within the flow of the offense where you never feel like they're forcing anything. Um, And you see that obviously with some of the high draft picks, but those are guys that have higher ceilings and um, are guys that you kind of want to fully run the offense through. So it's understandable to kind of work that through. Um, And it's, yeah, polar opposite of, of Marvin Bagley where um, he, he feels at times and he's been better about it this year, um, a little bit of a black hole on the offensive end where he gets the ball and, he, he already knows what he wants to get to rather than kind of reacting to what the opposing defense is giving to him, which Halliburton does really well. Actually, you mentioned Marvin Bagley. Let's touch on him. I mean, the numbers seem to be trending downward. There's a little bit of an injury deal there. Are we still, we still optimistic for Marvin or are we kind of touch and go with, with his place right now? Yeah. Um, I don't feel great about Bagley. I don't, I don't think many people in Sacramento fan base and media do, um, but he's 21 years old and he just passed of what would be a full season of playing time. I want to say he's on his 85th, 87th game, something like that. Um, And he was always a player that in my mind was going to take two, three years before he was actually a positive impact out there because he has all the physical tools and everything, but it was just about understanding the game and it slowing down for him, picking his spots properly. Um, So there's still optimism that that can happen. And we've seen promising stretches throughout this season. Um, But yeah, I I don't feel great about it. Um, And yeah, his role is going to have to, uh, kind of alter from what I think that he expected and his dad has vocally expected as well um, of being this primary option. I, I don't think he's a guy that you just like feed the ball to in the low post and he makes something happen because right now making something happen is a left jump hook every single time. Um, and it doesn't even go down at a good rate. Um, he, he's played better these last few games. So his field goal percentage is up to 43%, but it, I mean, up to 43 is not exactly something that you love to hear. Um, and he, he's not really getting run in the second half of games too much because 
Uh, you want Halliburton out there, and Holmes is clearly the best option as, at the starting center there. Um, so I think there's a lot of pessimism of Bagley right now, but just have to remember that he's 21. Um, his value can only go up from here, really. Um, so just a, a little more patience with him, which I get why that's frustrating going into what is his third year now. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely still a promising NBA player somewhere in there. I just don't know that I feel great that he actually reaches that, but you got to try at this point. Yeah. So I mean, actually, just, yeah, yeah. So like you say, if he reaches that, so if he does reach that, what do you think that the best version of Bagley looks like? Yeah. Um, it's probably a rim running center. Um, that does a decent job um, protecting the rim just with his impressive athleticism. Like, I think we've seen okay moments of switching. Um, but if he really wants to be this offensive spark, um, I'm kind of in the train of thinking that he might be best as a bench scorer um, in the long term. Um, that probably would be my guess, but the issue would be accepting that role. Um, I think that he could be very comparable to another number two pick that didn't really pan out from Duke in uh, Jabari Parker. Um, and, and he's got a lot more length to him. And Jabari Parker is also on Sacramento's roster right now, um, not playing at, at all or anything. Um, hasn't been available this year. Um, but yeah, um, and, and you see that guy also, you know, being very poor and disengaged on the defensive end of the floor, um, but really trying to make things happen when the ball gets in his hands on offense. And I think that only really fits when, when you need that out there, if you have better options in, you know, a Fox, um, Halliburton, even Holmes and Barnes, like you would rather those guys be the guy initiating your offense than, than, um, than Bagley. So I probably feel like he's best as a bench scorer down the line, but it's going to be about accepting that role. And he totally could become more, he, he could become a, a really good starting five in the league that, um, you know, in a high-paced situation works very well with Fox and Halliburton, but I, I would probably bet on a bench scorer at this point. You know, you, you talk about the high pace there. Um, obviously, uh, last year a lot was made with um, the sort of change in pace um, that Walton brought to the team. Um, I'll be honest, I'm not sure if that has been corrected too much or if there has been any sort of re- finding of the Kings identity as a team but like the best version of this year's Kings team what do you think their identity is like yeah I think it's funny at the beginning of this year you saw a little bit of a promising defense that was that was pretty physical um and at one point I, I asked a question you know is this team a top 15 defense and they very quickly answered that that no way um they are the worst defensive rating in the league right now uh, gave up 144 points in regulation to the Raptors the other night. Um, or it constantly feels like first team to reach like 135 is going to win the game, uh, meaning their offense is doing all right, but the defense is uh, definitely a struggle, which, I mean, uh, you kind of have to try, or I guess try to not try on defense if you're going to give up that many points in a game. Um, I think, you know, they have guys that are way more capable than than what we've seen, but um, it, it's really there's there's moments of really good ball movement that you see with Fox and Halliburton out there um, and Halliburton obviously being a guy that really has changed that. Um, so I think best case you, you do see 
moments of very promising basketball from from this team. I think they were up 40-21 against Toronto in the first quarter. Um, they were up almost 20 at two different parts of the most recent Portland game and then ended up blowing that game. Um, so it's really just inconsistent and not even a game-to-game basis, but quarter-to-quarter. Um, and it, it probably revolves around being physical on the defensive end and forcing steals, and that's where they get out in transition. And Fox is obviously elite. Um, and, and the pace has been okay this year. They're eighth in pace, but a lot of it's coming from um, steals that they get or offensive rebounds or defensive rebounds. Sorry, there were times in the Jaeger era where you know even off made baskets, they were down the floor scoring in five seconds, and you don't see that quite as much anymore. Um, so I think it really is going to be a lot of uh, ball movement and uh, flowing from side to side, hitting the paint as much as possible, and really um, an offensive team that, to me, this the play-in tournament, um, probably like a ninth seed. But I really do think the best thing for this team would be to get a top five pick and add a a true number one guy to Fox and Halliburton that is a a wing creator. Um, and this draft upcoming has a couple of those. So I, I think that you can have promising development from some of your young guys and, you know, see what value you can get from a Harrison Barnes or Buddy Heald while, uh, you know, quietly uh, really looking for a, a top five pick in the upcoming draft. You mentioned moving Buddy Heald. I mean, obviously, we all kind of know what went down yesterday. We know James Harden moved. Do you think with probably the number one guard and player overall that was available off the market now. Do you think that kind of greases the wheels a bit on any sort of Buddy Heald move? I mean, a team that might, I don't know, be able to use one extra outside shooter looks and says, well, we don't want to give up what's going to be necessary to get Bradley Beal or someone like that. But Buddy Heald's a damn good shooter and we could use him. And but yeah. do you think that kind of accelerates things on that front? Yeah, I think it's interesting because I, I think – the way that it would affect Sacramento is, you know, the other teams in the East looking at it and it's like, okay, well, we got to keep up with what Brooklyn has going on. And, and Philly obviously seemed like the team that was going to end up landing Harden. Um, and, and that kind of fell through in Brooklyn, um, who was always kind of neck and neck, it, it seemed in the reportings, ended up coming through with it. So maybe uh, Philadelphia, who, you know, has notably had like a need and want for spacing, is interested in Buddy Heald, but the issue is kind of matching salary and it would take. Uh, you know, Danny Green, um, and and then you'd also obviously Sacramento wants something valuable in return rather than an expiring Danny Green. Um, and I don't know that Philadelphia feels great about like Danny Green and Matisse Thibault for Buddy Heald um, because, again, the Heald deal I, I is probably viewed as a negative contract. Um, so I think that is interesting. There might be something there. It depends how Philly feels about that. Um, I probably wouldn't do it from my point of view, but there's definitely a um, a a perspective that you know healed is being misutilized, and if you have these uh, players that are the high usage ones in in Simmons and Embiid, and you're just kicking it out to a, a jump shooting uh, catch and shoot healed, that he could be amazing in that role. So I get it. Um, you've seen Seth Curry be super successful in that role, and having both of those guys out there would be ridiculous spacing for that team. Um, but yeah, so that that's kind of interesting, and then I think that. Uh, Harrison, or I'm sorry, uh, the Celtics as well with their trade player exception. Um, Heald could fit into that pretty well, but I, I actually um, think that they would probably prefer Harrison Barnes, who to me is just a better player, more well-rounded. Uh, Boston has definitely valued these versatile wings, 
And um, I think that Barnes could really fill that that Gordon Hayward role that is uh, kind of a void right now um, since he has been gone. And uh, that's kind of the trade that I've been I've been pushing for a while. Something like a uh, you know Shemi Ojale, Aaron Neesmith, who was just drafted and maybe uh, Boston's first rounder this year, which is going to be something in the 20s for Harrison Barnes because um, they, they Boston doesn't have. Uh, the cap space to go out and sign a guy the level of Barnes or anything, so they really have to use this this TPE. Um, so that's kind of the trade I'm keeping an eye on, and those are the two partners that may be interested in my mind in in Healder Barnes. That Boston one's very interesting to me. I mean, I feel like we we all kind of know how Sixers fans are with their own players. Uh, even yesterday, I think uh, Tyrese Maxey's name or yeah, Tyrese Maxey's name started coming up in James Harden trade talks. And people were kind of recoiling at that. Like, I right, no, hang on, hang on. This Harden guy's good, but we got to keep Maxi, um, yeah. which we can debate the rationality of that. But yeah, I feel like that Boston trade actually seems very logical. It seems like pieces that like Celtics fans wouldn't exactly like hate moving. I mean, it feels like it would be a good deal for both sides, honestly. Yeah, um, yeah, I do a little bit of Celtics coverage too, and uh, I mean, I, I think he'd be a great fit in Boston, and, and Sacramento is getting a fine return. Um, yeah, I mean, they Harrison Barnes really is underrated because he's a little overpaid, and I'm honestly not even sure how overpaid he is. He has three years, uh, sixty million left, and I don't think it's crazy that he's a twenty million dollar player. Um, and he's extremely well rounded. I, I can't really point to a weakness that Harrison Barnes has. Um, he, he's not elite at anything either, um, but there's there's value in just doing everything well. Um, he doesn't play outside of himself. You know, he got a lot of that criticism during his time in Dallas, but um, he was miscast as a number one option. He never should have been that. Um, going to Boston and being the third best guy on that team, um, I, I think would be a fine fit for him. And he's off to the best start of his career, really. 17 points a night, 51% from the field, 41% from three. Um, almost 80% from the free throw line. Yeah, like I said, I, I don't really think he does anything bad. I, I think he's a very interesting fit in um, in Boston. And, and it makes Sacramento notably worse right now, which, again, I don't think is a bad thing. Um, and, and you're getting younger. So I, I think that, that one makes a little bit of sense on both sides from my point of view. Yeah, I think a, a, a sort of recurring theme here has been um, the Kings are much older than people realize i'm just sort of looking like looking through you know some of these older players you know you have bayelitsa whiteside Corey joseph barnes healed um and you're they feel a little trapped in a situation that um i don't know we've talked a lot about this on the show like how like the best way that you kind of build up these young teams a lot of teams seem to kind of go for this strategy of like let's get some veterans in to like fill in the gaps maybe it creates a culture of you know winning or something like that um so do you think in terms of rebuilding this team like there is more motivation to sort of you know trade a lot of these older guys hope for this uh hope for a couple more good picks or to try to like push for that nine seed with the roster you have now yeah, I think they got themselves in this little bit of a sticky situation by constantly just chasing that eight seed. And I think it's a problem if if that's the ceiling of your roster. Um, like, I, I get that there's this ridiculous drought in the front office. Um, I, I think Divock was was very hell-bent on, on making that end and would have viewed that as a success. 
just just getting to the playoffs. And I think that's a problem personally. Um, I haven't, you know, been a Kings fan my whole life. So I understand the people's point of view that are sitting here like, man, I just want to see playoff basketball. Um, but to me, I, I think your goal needs to be an eventual team that can, you know, has some sort of route of potentially contending for a championship or at least a way to get out of the first round. Um, so I think that signing guys, and I actually was fine with not this season, last, th not this offseason, but the one before, um, the Harrison Barnes, Corey Joseph deals um, that they got done um, because I, I thought that they were really trending upwards. Um, I, I thought that Buddy and Bogey were very good players. I, I thought that um, Fox had a, a lot of growth and Deadman was the other deal as well that I thought made a lot of sense alongside Marvin Bagley. Um, and it felt like Bagley um, really slowing down and only playing 13 games last year kind of changed all of that. Um, and yeah, so I, I think that there is definitely a value to having this veteran presence. Um, and, and Barnes has been, been crucial in that. And I think that's probably been the main aspect of Corey Joseph as well. I think uh, Joseph is a great role model as a player for Tyrese Halliburton. Um, but in, in the spot that you're in, I think that Fox is the clear leader of the team on and off the court. Um, and, and Halliburton's growing into that as well. I, I'm definitely in the train of thought of um, moving on from these old guys, older guys, if you can get some value for them. And I get the impression that uh, new GM McNair is kind of in the same train of thinking. It's a good point you bring up about just sort of everyone being desperate to see playoff basketball, um, especially because I feel like everyone's desperate to see playoff basketball until it's like, game two against the Lakers or the Clippers and you're down 45 at half. And it's like, Oh, okay. This is what, this is what we kind of like tore down a few years from now for was right. a four game series where we kind of get rolled. Like the process yeah. taking time isn't necessarily the worst thing, even if it has already taken quite a bit of time. Yeah. And I really do think that one more guy adding to this, like the, the top of the next draft is, is very strong. Um, and I, I really do think that getting another top five guy that probably would be the number one talent uh, long-term on the team. I, I think that, you know, Fox just got this max deal and you 100% had to offer him that. Um, but I don't think he's the number one guy on a, on a great playoff team. Um, but you, you have a chance to go get a number one guy and then uh, Fox be a great complimentary along with Halliburton. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, you have to preach as much patience as some people think it's really to me, one more top five pick. And then you just roll with it from there with that trio of guys oh, yeah. and Bagley as well, you know, whatever you get from Bagley is just a plus. Yeah, of course. And I mean, I think we saw, especially with like the Hawks this off season, kind of a connected team to the Kings, like the switch from, yeah, we're just kind of looking for those top two or three guys to, okay, now we've got them. Now it's time to hit the gas on this. Like you can hit that switch pretty quickly in the NBA at this point. So, I mean, holding out for one more player does not seem to be like an outrageous ask for a King from the Kings perspective. I don't think. Yeah. I think even if they try to win games, uh, I don't know how many they're actually able to pull out. So. Yeah, you got a point there too. Um, you know, you mentioned Fox, how you don't, you're not convinced that he's like a number one option on a good playoff team. Um, what do you think Fox has to get better at at this point uh, of his career to really, you know, kind of come into his own as, as a player and to really, you know, make himself worth that huge deal? 
Yeah, I, I think that, you know, it's likely that that ends up as a slight overpay for Fox. But again, like Sacramento had to do that. I think that the only way you keep around a player of Fox's caliber that is clearly an all-star talent, um, not questioning that at all or anything. I just don't know that, you know, a max contract guy is usually you think of a top 10 player in the league, top 15 player. And I don't think Fox is quite that caliber. Um but I, I think that obviously the shooting needs to come around for him. And you've seen a lot of confidence for him um, in, in that aspect this season. Uh, most recent game against the Blazers, he hit five threes for only the second time in his career. Um, and, and he's been very quick trigger with that, which sometimes um, is a little frustrating for members of the fan base um, since obviously he's best at getting downhill. But I, I think he needs to be taking those to keep defenses honest. Um, and, and he's done a decent job of doing that. And he's become a better playmaker as well. Um, and yeah, I've seen a lot of critiques of Fox's maybe not regression, but kind of being stagnant this year um, when it comes to his growth. But I, I think I've seen uh, development in his uh, pick and roll patience, um, kind of some of the moves that he puts together, a little bit more creativeness. I think he can be one of the best guys at drawing fouls in the league. Um, he gets the line uh, six attempts a game this season. Um, and, and you want the the free throw percentage to rise a little bit, probably near that 75, you know, ideally like 80% range. Um, but I think definitely developing as a shooter and um, and a playmaker, which, which we've seen progress in. So I, I don't know that he lives up to being a, Again, Max guy that's a top 15 player in the league, but I think that that's a deal that you had to give him, and I don't think that you regret it down the line or anything like that. Um, but uh, he he shouldn't be. I, I think that he can get negated um, if teams are able to solely focus on him as the number one option. Um, so getting other players like Halliburton, who's definitely been able to take the offensive load off of him a little bit, and maybe somebody in this upcoming draft class would be. Uh, very beneficial for his game. And uh, yeah, so there, there's definitely progress that needs to come. But um, from from what I've seen, you know, there is that progression year to year. Um, and, and I think that that's just going to continue. I love the confidence that he's that he's shown from three. And yeah, that playmaking is definitely something he's had an emphasis on as well. Um, yeah, and I, I think he could be a better on ball defender as well, um, which I, I don't think he's been great at so far into his career, um, but but totally could be. I, I think that he can live up to the max contract in the sense of guys that like teams were forced to give him max contract or he was going to go um, and letting him walk was obviously the wrong decision. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think that he could be a one B on a really good team. I just don't think he can be the primary option if teams get to scheme against him being the the main guy that he could get. Um, negated or taken out of his rhythm um definitely and i mean there's nothing wrong with being that one b i mean we didn't seem like we've talked about it on this show with pascal siakam a few times like he was great as that number two or like if you want to say one b option when Kawhi was there and then he just kind of got thrown into that well you're a one a option now and right. teams got seven games to scheme against him in the playoffs and it didn't go well like yeah some, really guys, good example. Just, some guys just aren't going to be that yeah yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, you you have an opportunity to get another one when this upcoming draft. So I'm keep pushing that one. Kind of kind of manifesting that one a little bit. That's the goal. Um, all right, let's see, Dave. Do you have any uh, you have any final uh, final asks here? Well, we did have an idea for a um, a new segment we wanted to bring on here today. You're going to be the first person to really uh, 
be a part of it here, Brendan. Um, since we're having all these, you know, guests from team-specific podcasts on, um, just want you to like kind of end this on like a nice, uh, positive moment where you can kind of share like some of your favorite memories uh, of like favorite memories of Kings basketball, whether they were funny or just actually great basketball moments or just whatever comes to your mind. Yeah, um, I, I haven't been a Kings fan, like I said, for too long of a time. I know a lot of people would point to the Mike Bibby game winner back in 2002, um, the team that you know a lot of people like to say was ended up winning the championship that year, um, despite uh, some questionable uh, uh, refereeing in that Lakers series. Um, but I would say, uh, I don't know what your guys' explicit rating on this show is. Um, we got a, there was a game last year. Um, I want to say it was last year. Yeah. In Houston where Bielitsa hits a, hits a game winner um, and then goes on the broadcast right after and gets interviewed. And um, it's like, Oh yeah. How are you feeling uh, when, when you hit this shot? And uh, you know, this was a, this was a big win for the team and Bielitsa is so funny and he's constantly regarded as like the funniest guy on the team that you can't even tell he's joking. He's just so straight faced in his thick Serbian accent and he goes <laughs> on uh, live t- TV and he's like, fuck it. We deserve these wins, man. And it was just, it was just <laughs> such a great cherry on top of that night. Um, so that was a fun one. There's Kyle guy game winner recently mm. um, in preseason that, you know, something fun to hold on to. So, it's definitely more fun little moments like that rather than uh, actual successful basketball, I will say. Yeah, I mean, what'd you say, Tom? No, no, go ahead. I, I mean, feel like we're probably on the same line here. Yeah, I think a lot of, like, both the Tom and I's probably favorite memories. I mean, obviously the Heat have had, like, a lot of success, so I'm fortunate enough for that. Um, but, you know, yeah, I think it is those little things that um, – end up keeping you coming back and like wanting to kind of do what we do where we want to watch basketball all day and talk about it um and scroll twitter to see other people talking about it um i mean we've seen a lot of moments like that throughout this year so far i think i mean it's just been such a strange year um but yeah thanks for sharing that um tom what were you gonna say oh no i was just gonna say i mean similar to you on that like those kind of little moments, even when you're not contending for a championship are probably some of your favorites that you're going to have. Cause like we've said it many times on this show, like the idea of rooting for a team and being championship or bust is actually like, it winds up being a pretty depressing way to watch basketball. Cause like you watch a game and at the end of it, you're thinking negatively, no matter what it's like, Oh, what didn't we do? Like, what could we have done better? Whereas like, sometimes it's a lot of fun to just watch a team. It's like, yeah, we're probably not going to be all world, but there was some fun stuff in this game. There was some stuff we did well, and let's focus on that. Like, that feels like a more enjoyable way to be a fan, which is ultimately, I feel like, what all of us really are. Yeah, and it's been a pretty loose experience, I think, watching the Kings this year because um, if they do end up sneaking into the playoffs, there would be a feel-good, um, you know, kind of ride to that. Um, but, uh, again, um, a top-five draft pick is probably best for the team long-term, so... Um, feels good with wins and then you also have something to hold on to with the losses and Halliburton's definitely been the darling that uh, I think makes a lot of people turn on the game each night yeah um, I did have one question I'm not sure if you are like would be an expert on this but do we know really why Halliburton ended up falling the way he did in the draft 
Yeah, there were some there were some rumors that uh, you know maybe he wanted to go um, to Sacramento and, and kind of you know I think agents can do some finagling of you know uh, not uh, allowing interviews with with other teams and things like that or um, not allowing medical records and Halliburton didn't play um, a good portion of his. Uh, sophomore season at Iowa State with a a hand injury. I think it was a wrist injury. Um, So there were some rumors floating around that maybe he kind of pushed his way to Sacramento, which obviously made him uh, loved even more because I can't remember the last time anyone could ever say that. Um, But yeah, so that was rumored a little bit, but um, everyone was surprised. And and the impression I got front office was just as surprised that Halliburton was sitting on the board there at 12. Um, so yeah, maybe a little bit of rumors floating about that for a little while, um, but nothing confirmed or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, either way, I think after you know practically a decade where there's been a lot of Kings lottery picks that have not really worked out in the way that you would have hoped, um, it's got to feel great to finally get that guy in the late lottery that you know everyone immediately recognizes like oh this is this guy's a steal he's going to be a great contributor from the get-go um so yeah i think at, at least with fox and halliburton the the future at least is looking probably brighter than it did a couple years ago for the kings right yeah it definitely is um nice to get a what probably is you know mid to high lottery talent sitting there at 12 uh needed a little bit of luck and it seems like they may have gotten that and that future can look a lot brighter with uh whatever draft pick comes next top five pick yeah there we go (laughs) of course not top five evan mobley evan mobley's my guy there it is um yeah do you have anything else tom no that about wraps it up um brendan before we sign off you want to tell the people where they can find you plug your stuff a little bit yeah, um, the the podcast for the Kings is is Kings Pulse, and uh, there's you know a great site that I write for as well. That's KingsHerald.com, and uh, great coverage going on there all the time. And I do uh, dabble in a little bit of a Celtics podcast as well. Uh, that's Celtics Pod for Celtics Blog, and then just started doing a Grizzlies one too, actually. Um, so got a little bit going on. Um, but yeah, no, uh, on Twitter it's at Brendan Nunez NBA, and uh, I, I really appreciate you having me on, guys, anytime. Thanks, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks uh, so much. Check him out. He's all over the map. Uh, that's Brendan Nunes. Thanks for coming on.